Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists, and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what is interesting to us this week. We are so glad you're here. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Hi. It's nice to be here. Nice to have you here. Shall we start with some announcements, announcements, announcements? I kind of like wiggled my eyebrows along with the song. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do. I, I, have to, I have to be honest. I was kind of hoping that this week I was going to be able to sing a, a different song that would, be, that would go like this. Indictments, indictments, indictments. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't had that happen yet. Not yet. Maybe by next week. Maybe. But I just couldn't hold on to my little joke, so. It's a good joke. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, announcements. We have a show coming up. Yeah. Uh, this podcast is coming out on Wednesday, March 22nd, which is exactly one month. Wow. Uh, before our debut theater concert of the Good To Me show that we're putting together in Sacramento uh, on April 22nd at the Sophia Theater. We're so excited. Like all the pieces are, there's so many moving parts putting together this show. This show is like, this show is many levels uh, more complicated than any show we've ever done before. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And and what that means is it's going to be awesome. Yeah. But, and, and also... Uh, it's just a lot of stuff to put together. But as we're seeing some of those elements come together, it's just getting me even more excited to bring this show to you all. So if you're in Sacramento, if you're anywhere near Sacramento, if you can get yourself to Sacramento, please come. Go get your tickets. They're on sale now. Uh, We'll have a link uh, in the show notes where you can get them. And and yay. So excited. Yes. Any other thoughts from you? Uh, Yeah, uh, just, you know, an evergreen announcement. Go listen to some of our music on Spotify. It's a great way to support what we're doing. Just look up Shannon Curtis, Spotify or wherever you like to listen to stuff. Bandcamp is great. It's free uh, if you are cash poor. Uh, We do that on purpose so you can enjoy the stuff we're doing. Also, like when you go listen on Bandcamp, we have it set so that after three free listens, it makes you go buy it. But spoiler alert, you can buy it for zero (laughs) dollars. So if you need to do that, just go do that. It's just like a prompt, you know what I mean? We do it that way for a reason, because we want people to understand at a certain point that you should entertain the idea of, am I able to support this? If so, how would I like to? But also, I am not able to support this as a valid use case. Totally. And we have accounted for that. So uh, you can listen there. Also, I mean, anywhere else in the world that you like to stream music, you can listen to it there. The one that helps us the most these days is Spotify. So all things being equal, if you are a Spotify person and you listen there, uh, including with a free Spotify account, Mm -hmm. uh, Spotify listeners racking up uh, it's kind of like we unlock bonus achievements. It's like a little <laughs> video game, you know, or right. they're like little gold coins. If we hit them with our little head enough, then, you know, like a sewer pipe opens up or something, you know? <laughs> Hopefully not a sewer pipe. This is sort of like a Super Mario Brothers riff. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm just imagining what's inside the sewer pipe and like that doesn't seem More good. treasure. No, oh. more treasure. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's how that works, actually. I didn't play Mario Brothers, so I don't know. What yeah, I've only ever seen like pictures of other people doing it because I also was video game challenged Got as a it. kid. Oh, yeah. By which I mean my mom wasn't into it. Oh, She thought they rotted your brain. And you know what? I don't know that she was right. Uh, No, I don't think she was right. Yeah. No. Hey, I've got one more announcement. Uh, Next Friday, Mm -hmm. March 31st, we have our second 80s kids song coming out. Oh, yeah. So two Fridays from now, this is what you have to look forward to. We know what the song is. Oh, we'll so be good. dropping hints uh, next, starting next week. Yep. And I've already thought of a couple of hints we can drop about this one. Heck yeah. It's going to be so fun. Yep. You're going to love it. Yep. It's, it's oh man, so fun. So stay tuned. Uh, March Friday, March 31st, we'll have our next 80 kid, 80s Kids song out. Yeah, very, very excited about that. Um, and also oh. the previous 80s Kids song is out too. Uh, you can just go look on Shannon's Bandcamp page or also on Spotify. It's called Wouldn't It Be Good? It's a soundtrack classic from the film Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Only our version is way better. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, so the original version was written by this guy called Nick Kershaw, right? We heard his version the other day on the radio and it just sounded slow and boring. I know, sorry. I've gotten so used to our version, which is just like, it kicks ass. Sorry, Mr. Kershaw. <laughs> and his version doesn't kick ass in, in the way that that song needs to. You Sometimes people write songs and they don't know what they have in their hands. Oh, uh, yeah. You know? I know a lot of people do really love the Nick Kershaw version. 
Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people love stupid things. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jamie's, no. Jamie's out here making enemies. <laughs> right? I, I mean... That's kind of your life motto, actually. Jamie's out here making enemies. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it. You know, I no. just... I tend to keep things real. Jamie's out here having strong opinions. I'm out here... unafraid to say them. I'm out here living authentically in my truth. That's right. That's yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> to put it in yoga terms. <laughs> I love it. So, Jamie, living out here authentically in your truth, how are you feeling today? You know, I'm having a both at the same time <laughs> okay. kind of day. I'm feeling happy and anxious. Mm, okay. Uh, I'm cheerful. Everything's good. Things are back on track after last week's planetary strangeness. <laughs> uh, but I'm just anxious in my body. Mm. So, uh, you know, just got like tightness in my chest. Uh, I just feel like something's about to go terribly wrong just mm. in my body. Mm. Uh, it's not. Yeah. I mean, never say never, I guess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but everything is fine. Um so it's just, a, you know, kind of a weird duality, you know? I'm cheerful, I'm happy, I'm animated. It's probably coming through right now as we record this podcast. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel in my body like I should be worried. So, oh. yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I But you asked and that's the answer. Yeah. How are you feeling? I am feeling uh, accomplished <laughs> is my first word. That's because yesterday, my, so last week, you referred to how last week was sort of like weird. Yeah. And it was just energetically for us here. It was just weird. We had a hard time gaining traction. Yeah. Like I had plans last week for stuff I wanted to do every single day of the I week know, and every single day they got derailed. And so I'm feeling accomplished because yesterday on Monday, the day before we were recording this, uh, I had a list of things I wanted to accomplish and I did all of them. Hell yeah. And it felt so good. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, with time to spare to go to a, like a neighborhood community meeting that we needed to go to, yes. like it was great. So I'm feeling accomplished. I'm. I think that that accomplished feeling is feeding into my other feeling of uh, feeling motivated. Good. Feeling motivated, and yep. I'm eager because you and I are starting this evening to record 80s Kids song number three. Oh, so It's a the, good one. The one that will come out in April, uh, we're going to start recording it tonight and I'm so excited. I'm eager to get to and I'm eager to do it. I'm also, I love these uh, weeks when we have planned the time for us to record the 80s song together, 80s Kids song together because it's just like dedicated time that you and I get to work together. Yes. Like we do a lot of work together, obviously, but a lot of our like music work tends to be me up in my studio and you and yours. It's yeah. not, you know... Working on the same songs, just not at the same time. Yeah, yeah. oftentimes it's it's divided. So I'm, I'm just eager for all of that tonight. And yeah. so that's how I'm doing today. Good. Shall we uh, fire up the good news machine? Heck yeah, what you got? Okay, so I read this piece of news that felt like good news to me this last week and I wanted to share it in this segment. So in uh, the publication Variety, they did a survey of um, people who watch Fox News. Mm -hmm. And you know how a couple weeks ago, or like kind of in a rolling fashion over the last several weeks, actually, there have been documents released from this lawsuit that Dominion Voting Systems had, has against them for defamation. Because remember mm -hmm. back in the uh, after the 2020 election, um, Dominion is one of those companies that, that does, that has like... Uh, uh, they make the software for voting machines. Vote counting software, yeah. And uh, one of the conspiracy theories that came out of the 2020 election was that somehow this system, the Dominion system was rigged and was like flipping votes from from Trump to Biden. And, yeah. and it, it was, was being controlled via satellite <laughs> by like Venezuela or yeah, something. There was so it many. It was a bunch of bonkers bullshit. So bonkers. There was never a shred of evidence to support this. There still has, there, it, was, it was a complete fabrication. Yeah. Fox News hosts at the time were having guests on their show shows that were that were promoting this theory mm -hmm. about the rigged election and Dominion voting systems. Fox News hosts themselves were promoting yeah. this theory. Well, Dominion sued Fox for defamation, yep. basically saying like, look, you're putting our entire business in jeopardy by the lies you have said that you've broadcast about our company. Yeah. And we're suing you. And they're suing them for like a whole lot of money. Like, like $1.6 billion or billion something. Billion with a B, yeah. yeah. And so um, it's it's a really big deal. And people who I've, who we've, who we've been reading about like analyzing the case, like it's really difficult to bring a defamation suit against mm -hmm. people in the United States because there's freedom of speech. You well, know, against like, specifically media entities. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but 
folks who be, we've been reading about this have been saying like this is a pretty clear case that like it seems like the courts are going to move in in the direction of dominions. It seems like they have cleared the bar. Yeah, exactly. So in the process of this lawsuit, I'm getting around to my good news. Okay, uh-huh, I'm getting uh-huh. there. Just had to give background. Yeah. Okay. In the process of this lawsuit, uh, Dominion got access to communications like via text and emails and things like that uh, from Fox News executives and hosts on the show. Like chatting with each other over text about what was going on. Right. And it turns out that some of the major executives all the way up to the top and the hosts themselves, ones you know, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, like the big guys, Laura Ingram, they privately acknowledged that this Dominion conspiracy theory was a bunch of shit. Looney Tunes. But publicly, on their shows, went on and perpetuated the lie for the viewers. They lied. They lied to their viewers over and over and over again. In this one case where we have actual proof that they've lied, I mean, it just opens the door to, like, what else? I mean, there's probably so much more. I mean, of course there is so much more that they've just lied to them. They have no respect for for their viewers Mm -mm. whatsoever. Okay, so it's come out that they've lied, right? And this this piece in Variety, uh, they they did a survey of Fox News viewers, and they found that 21% of those that they interviewed, of Fox News viewers, Mm -hmm. trust the network less after those texts about the in the the Dominion lawsuit were revealed. That's a start. That's a fifth of their viewership say that they trust Fox News less. Well, that sounds like really good news to me. That's great. Like, that is really good news. It, it, the good news is tempered a little bit because in that same survey, only 9% of Fox viewers say that they aren't watching the network as much as they used to. So I guess, like, what's the difference between 21 and 9, 12? Maybe those 12% of people just enjoy being lied to. Like, yep. like I know I'm being lied to. I trust them very little, but I'm going to watch anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so there's... Like an alcoholic at the bar, you I know? guess so. I guess so. Uh, a rep- this is really funny from the article. A representative for Fox News told Variety that there has been no impact to advertising with no advertisers dropping or pausing and confirmed that viewership levels had not been impacted. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really funny because this is a story about how Fox News lies through their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, of course, they're not going to say that they've actually lost yeah. any viewership if they indeed have. And right? yeah. I mean, who knows if they have. The last bit of, of news from this article, which I thought was good, uh, was that 13% of those viewers, of those Fox News viewers, no longer believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen after this... this What's the percentage again? 13%. No huh. no longer believe right that on. the 2020 pres- uh, election was stolen after reading the communications uh, in which, like, it, it's, it's this, the networks, the stars of the network, Tarko Carlson, Sean Hannity, you know, going on TV and making allegations that there was voter fraud and knowing full well that it was a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so 13% of those people said that they they no longer believe that. One in seven. Yeah, I mean... Not great, <laughs> not great numbers. Not great numbers. No, it's not great numbers, but... You not know, the he, kind of numbers that if you got like a, a 13%, you would pass a class no, on it's civics true. or something. It's true, but here's the thing. For, we got to take the wins when we get them, right? Yeah. And like f- the, the presence of Fox News in our culture being such a, a, just a malevolent presence, it, yeah. it has felt at times like like it's an insurmountable obstacle to get people to stop watching fucking Fox News. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I would give so much yeah. <laughs> to, like, to, so the people I know who watch Fox News could never watch it again. Yeah. I, I'm like, I would, I would sacrifice so much of that. I could make that happen, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so, and I, and if and if Fox News were no longer, honestly, like this massive propaganda machine that is fueling the rise in right wing extremism and fascism in this country, mm-hmm. I mean, it would just take the wind right out of the sails. Like, yeah. it would be amazing. So, I'm going to take the win. I'm going to take the win that one fifth of their viewers say that they trust the network less. It's a start. It's a start. Let's yeah. snowball that and like, yeah. Let's, you know, hopefully this trend continues. Hopefully so. so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Right on. Yes. So, hey, uh, how about we get less dumb? That sounds great. Class, anyone? Anyone? All right. I have a quick follow-up, first of all. Oh, okay. So, uh... Long-time listeners of the podcast might remember my piece from seven days ago 
uh, about uh, the FTC causing insulin prices to get slashed. Oh yes, right. Uh-huh. How uh, the threat, the mere th- the threat of antitrust. Uh, Actions mm-hmm. against uh, pharmaceutical benefit managers. Do y'all remember that piece? I talked the about it at some man. length. Yeah, the middlemen. I talked about it last week. So uh, I talked about this on the podcast. It came out. Uh, we recorded it Tuesday. It came out. You know, first thing Wednesday. Uh, and at that time, Eli Lilly, they were sort of, that was the good news in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. That Eli Lilly had voluntarily said, you know what, we're going to slash our uh, insulin prices. We're going to make it so like you, there's an out-of-pocket max of $35 a month yeah. to have it, to bring it in line with what the government had said uh, would be for people on Medicare. Right. right? Um, so then last week, like literally the same day the podcast came out, Novo Nordisk right. slashed their prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on Thursday, Sanofi did too. Oh my gosh. So the big, those are the big three. Eli Lilly and uh, Sanofi and Novo Nordisk are the big three pharmaceutical makers, right? And between the three of them, they control essentially the entire market for uh, on-label, like not, not generic, insulin, mm-hmm. right? And uh, basically like a week and a half ago, they were all up in the like screwing everybody with a ridiculously high prices range. Yeah. And as of now, they're all at 35 bucks a month. That's amazing. And it's because Lena Khan at the Federal Trade Commission mm-hmm. started actually using the power that that commission has to regulate these companies. Amazing. And oh my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, immediate and dramatic change mm-hmm. that will demonstrably help a whole bunch of people who really badly need it. Go, Lena, go. It's go, Lena, go. so good. It's yes. so cool. Uh, I just love when there's just like a very simple direct line between someone taking an action and a very good thing happening. Yep. You know, it's just simple and unambiguous. Yep, it's I not like it. this is some complicated regulatory thing. How did it happen? It was market forces. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, no, it wasn't. It was a regulator going, fuck you guys. <laughs> Here are the laws in the books. I'm going to enforce them and here's the result. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. She'd, and she didn't even have to sue him. Right. She just had to be like, this isn't cool and I'm about to sue you. Yeah. And they were all like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. <laughs> She's so rad. I love it. It was really, really cool. That's a great a great update. Thank you. Yeah, I know you've got one. What I is do it? have a, an item for Let's Get Less Time. This comes uh, in part courtesy of our Misfit star, Amanda, who's mm-hmm. getting a shout out for the second week in a row. Hi, Amanda. For sending us stuff. By the way, if you have stuff that you, listener, who find interesting and you want to like shoot it in our direction as possible consideration for the podcast, do that. We love that. Sure. Please do. We don't use all of it, so don't be bummed if we don't. But if you send something and it's like, yes, this is something this is... that we feel like we need to talk about with our people, we'll do so. For sure. So uh, the thing is, Amanda sent this uh, this newsletter that she got and it referenced an article that I had actually been meaning to read. Mm-hmm. And so it like got my attention and it went, and it's an article in The Cut, um, which I, I'll give you the link, Jamie, to put in the notes for folks if they want to read more about it because it's okay. really interesting. Um, this article in The Cut was, uh, was titled A World with Without men, the women of South Korea's 4B movement aren't fighting the patriarchy. They're leaving it behind entirely. Wow. Okay, so the article is written by Anna uh, Anna Louise Sussman. Anna Louise Sussman, I guess is how you say her name. Um, So 4B, it's it's this movement in in Korea. 4B is shorthand for four Korean words that all begin with the the prefix B-I, I'm not sure if you how you pronounce that in Korean, so yeah. I'm not going to try. But the prefix means no, okay? So it's four words that essentially start with no and then fill in the blank, So no okay? this, no that. Right. So the first uh, for the first no, I'm, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, and I'm sorry. Why don't you just say what it is and not even try to say the word? The first no, bihan, is the refusal of heterosexual marriage. Bishul san is the refusal of childbirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, be yone is saying no to dating. Mm-hmm. And be sexu is the rejection of heterosexual sexual relationships. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is a movement that it's both like an ideological stance and a lifestyle for the women who are adopting this in South Korea. Yeah. Um, and many of the women that the the writer interviewed for her story um spoke to um that they 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 talked about it as being sort of a, a movement to boycott nearly all of the men in their lives, yeah. including distancing themselves from male friends. Yeah. And the reason for this is, and I I learned so much about South Korean culture reading this article. South Korean culture is, I mean, we have a very patriarchal patriarchal culture here in the United States, but it is even more so in South Korea. Um, for 
Yeah, there's really no comparison. Just to be super clear, it's not like they are five percent further down the road. The United States are in a completely different universe. Yeah, it, the, there's a there was a 2016 survey by the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family in South Korea, and mm -hmm. it found that the incidence of in, intimate partner violence is 41 and a half percent. Wow, it's like they're all cops. <laughs> the, uh, there's also the 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 global average for that, by the way, is 30 percent. So like yeah. they're domestic part, except for cops. Intimate partner. Thank you. Thank you for. Doing Really, <laughs> my conversation. I'm not okay. derailing. Okay, um, and and like the, the the gender pay gap is also like way worse there, and just the the general culture in South Korea for women there, like they are expected in in cult in their culture to even if they've pursued education and a profession, uh, they are expected when to, to get married, and when they get married, to start bearing children, and they are expected to quit their jobs, quit yeah. their professions, end their careers in order to. Um, to, to serve whatever, you know, the, the role that their culture expects of them. Yeah. And so for a lot of the, the, these women who subscribe to the 4B, um, it, they, they kind of see it as the only path by which a Korean woman can live autonomously in the yeah. society. Um, in their view, the, the article says here, in their view, Korean men are essentially beyond redemption. <laughs> and Korean culture on the whole is hopelessly patriarchal, often downright misogynistic. And I, explained, I gave the examples of that already. But I just thought it was really interesting like they're not through they 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 adopt this lifestyle they uh they they do demonstrations and they have online activism um and by modeling an alternative lifestyle to other women they're not trying to change the men yeah whom they view as their oppressors they're just ignoring them yeah. <laughs> and going on with their lives which i thought was such an interesting and really bold way of addressing this problem that they, they live with in yeah, their country and their sure. culture. So I just thought it was really, uh, I, I just I just thought it was a really interesting, I'd never heard of this before. Um, and it, it, I felt less dumb after having learned something about Korean culture and, and really felt kind of inspired by like the bold action that these women are taking to address the ways in which they have been harmed by their, the patriarchy in their in their in their culture. This, there's a quote that I just want to end with here that from one of the women who practices, uh, Yuan is her name, 26-year-old office worker. She told the, the, uh, the writer of this article that practicing Bihan means that you're eliminating the risks that come from heterosexual marriage or dating. Yeah, right. And the risks are pretty high. Yeah. You know, as we stated earlier. So super interesting, right? Yeah. I yeah. love that it's an opt-out mentality. <laughs> You totally. know, like it's not like activism. It's like the opposite of activism. Yeah. It's I mean, cool. It comes with a high price too, because like I mentioned, the gender pay gap is really large there. Yeah. So for a lot of women, I mean, that's that's in part how the patriarchy is reinforced there is because yeah. women don't get paid nearly as much as men do in similar professions. So if they want to have a good life, they got to attach themselves to a man because he makes more money. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, it, it does come with costs and, you know, it is more difficult for a woman to live as an independent person in South Korea than it is other places. Yeah. Um, so interesting. So interesting. Yeah. All right. So my main let's get less dumb piece. Okay. It's about Luddites. Luddites. Yes. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I just saw something that was really interesting to me, so I thought I would share it. So we've all heard the term Luddites, right? Mm -hmm. And we all understand it to mean someone who is fearful of technology, like somewhere on a spectrum between fearful of technology doesn't get technology. Or rejects it, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the spectrum that yeah. we understand it uh, to operate in. Okay. Uh, not exactly accurate, I learned. Uh, so I saw this just really interesting... Uh, this just interesting quote from a little article about Luddites. And the quote is, uh, love the machine, hate the factory. Okay. And I was like, that's interesting. That doesn't comport with what I thought I knew about what Luddites were. You okay. Know? And I quickly realized I didn't know much at all about what Luddites were. I just knew the word and what we kind of in, you know, 2020 think it means. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I did a little research. So, uh, the Luddites. So, the Luddites were a, uh, they were a secret oath-based organization. What? 
Uh, yep, I am just. I'm quickly reading from the from the heading in Wikipedia right now. Okay, because I've, I've only ever heard the word used as a descriptor That's of right. someone, not that they were an organization. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, more. So, tell me more. The Luddites were a secret oath based organization uh, <laughs> of English textile workers okay. in the 19th century who formed a radical faction which destroyed textile machinery. The group is believed to have taken its name from Ned Ludd, a legendary weaver supposedly from a town called Anstey, okay? So I want to just read a bit from a Cory Doctorow piece here. Okay. So uh, Cory Doctorow, for anyone who doesn't know him, he's just like this prolific and profound writer. Uh, he just, every almost every single day, takes something that he finds interesting and writes like, you know, a few thousand words about Jeez. it. Jeez. You know? Does he sleep? Uh, he <laughs> is scarily productive. It's really weird. He must just be a really fast writer. Maybe you so. Know? Yeah. Um, so I just thought that you all might find this as interesting as I did. And I am at this point just going to read a couple paragraphs from this Cory Doctorow piece. Okay. So he says, Despite what you may have heard, the Luddites weren't technophobes. They were skilled workers, expert high-tech machine operators mm -hmm. who supplied the world with fine textiles. Thanks to a high degree of labor organization through craft guilds, the workers received a fair share of the profit from their labors. They worked hard, but they earned enough through their labors to enjoy lives of dignity and comfort. Mm -hmm. 19th century textile workers enjoyed a high degree of personal autonomy. Their machines were in their homes, and they worked surrounded by family and friends, away from the oversight of the rich merchants who brought their goods to market. This was the original cottage industry. That's so interesting. Like, when you hear the term cottage industry, it's this. They were working in their cottages. Oh, my gosh. But they all were. Yeah. It was like the original work from home. I know. That's so cool. It's so cool. I had no idea. The factory owners who built their, uh, what, what the Luddites referred to as their dark satanic mills... <laughs> The factory owners weren't interested in making life easier for textile workers by automating their labor. They wanted to make workers' lives harder. Textile machines were valued because they were easier to operate than the hand looms that preceded them. And that meant that workers who wanted a fair wage for a fair day's work could be fired and replaced with new workers without the logistical hassle of the multi-year apprenticeship demanded by the hand loom and its brethren. Mm. Uh, as uh, the writer Brian Merchant documents in his book, uh, The Blood in the Machine, his stunning forthcoming history of the Luddites, the factory owners of the Industrial Revolution wanted machines so simple that children could work them because that would let them pick over England's orphanages, oh tricking God. young kids to come work in their factories for 10 and 12-hour days. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so anytime you hear a business person be like, I want something so simple a child could use it. Because they want to hire a that child. Should, that should ring a little alarm bell for you, you know? <laughs> These children were indentured for a period of 10 years, starved and mercilessly beaten when they missed quota. The machines routinely maimed or killed them. Ugh. One of these children survived to write a best-selling memoir detailing the horrifying life of the factory owner's child slaves, which inspired uh, Dickens to write Oliver Twist. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. So interesting. Uh, he continues, the Luddites' cause, so what they were agitating for, yeah. was not the destruction of machines. They fought for the preservation of workers' power over their bosses. Hmm. They understood perfectly well what the machines did. Indeed, much of their criticism of textile machinery was technical in nature, <laughs> decrying the defective fabric that emerged from these machines. Because they knew what they were talking about. Oh, they, for sure. Yeah. They were technical experts, yeah. yeah. But they were far more interested in who those machines did it for and who they did it to. Mm -hmm. Uh, he says, I've written that science fiction is a Luddite literature, a genre that doesn't just ask, wouldn't it be cool if this gadget existed, but goes on to ask, how could people decide how to use this machine? Mm -hmm. The machine's workings are deterministic, but the social arrangements governing the machine, those are up to us. Mm. Right? That's so cool. Isn't that interesting? Yep. So really, at the core of what it means to be a Luddite, a Luddite is actually a very highly technical person who is also extremely concerned in a philosophical way with the social politics of mm. how machines affect work and the balance of power. How technology affects work and the balance of power. I mean, it's yeah. so, so salient, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about like the modern day mill bosses, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, it's people like the people who invented Uber. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They want a way to remove the workers from the situation and to make the workers be much more like slaves, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, with absolutely no protections, absolutely no organizing power, absolutely no uh, recourse. You can see their desire to have workers not be able to have protections and organizing power in California. There was this thing called Prop 22 that Mm -hmm. uh, it it was put on the ballot a few years ago, right? It was one of those like... uh, uh, user initiative ballots. I forget the exact name for that, but you know, it's like where a citizen a proposition. Yeah, a proposition. It's where a citizen can put something on the ballot for everyone to vote on. You got to get a certain number of votes, and it goes on. Right? There's an ap- approval process, but like anyone can do it, and so it's very democratic in nature. But like, once something's on the ballot, to a certain extent, it just kind of comes down to who has the biggest megaphone, pro or anti, and. Uh, Uber poured millions and millions of dollars into the campaign. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, like, Prop 22 was, like, for sure, like, uh, like, I I forget whether Prop 22 is for or against it, but the point is that the side that Uber chose, obviously, was the side that said that uh, people who drive for Uber can't be classified as full-time employees and have all the insurance and benefits and protections that a full-time employee would. They're independent contractors. That was the outcome of it, right? Right. And that's that's what Uber spent literally hundreds of millions of dollars on. Hmm, They could have spent those hundreds of millions of dollars on actually, like... Having full-time employees with benefits and health coverage. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you have to imagine, like, that. that's what's shocking to me, honestly, thinking about it, like, the scale of this whole thing, right? Because they're not just screwing workers in America. They're screwing workers all over the globe, right? right? Yeah. And, like, what that literally says is that they thought that the $200 million or whatever it was that they put into making sure that these people couldn't be classified as employees was a good investment for them that they would return multiples on, you know? So, I mean, how much must it cost for them to, I mean, how many workers must there be Mm -hmm. worldwide that they're exploiting exploiting (laughs) for it to be a better bet monetarily for them to spend $200 million to ensure that they don't have to, like, do healthcare? Right. So so the Luddites, the organization that I just learned about today for the first time, was really about the idea of not anti-tech, but or anti-new tech. Right. It was about the idea of protecting people from the ramifications of tech being used in in inhumane ways. That's right. That's and exactly it. And it applies today too. Wow, that's really interesting. That's right. So if someone calls you a Luddite, <laughs> just like smile because they don't know it, but they mean that they're saying that you are technically savvy and also morally sound. <laughs> Uh, or they might be label, labeling you as fearful of technology, which a lot of us are yeah. sometimes. I, I get it. I get it. Um, well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm under the impression that you have an item uh, for us that feels important today. Please hold for a very important message. I do. Uh, and there's it's just two things, and they're short. Okay. But they really kind of felt like important, like, like like seeds for thought. Okay. That's what they have operated as for right. me this week. Like I heard both these things and I was like, oh, I got to think about that. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I will just say them. So the first one, uh, it's about the idea of entrepreneurship and who has access to it. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Through this brilliant metaphor. And here's what it says. Entrepreneurship. And by the way, this was posted on Reddit on November 9th, 2017 by username Not A Coward. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, So, entrepreneurship is like one of those carnival games where you throw darts or something. Middle-class kids can afford one throw. Most miss. A few hit the target and get a small prize. A very few hit the center bullseye and get a bigger prize. Rags to riches, the American dream lives on. Mm. Rich kids can afford many throws. Mm. If they want to, they can try over and over and over again until they hit something and feel good about themselves. Some keep going until they hit the center bullseye. Then they give speeches or write blog posts about meritocracy and the salutary effects of hard work. (laughs) Poor kids aren't visiting the carnival at all. They're the ones working at it. Yeah. That was, you read that to me earlier this week and it made me pause also. Yeah. Yeah, because we hold up entrepreneurship as like the epitome of the American dream, right? Like we, like, People starting their own businesses or like, you know, going out and forging their own venture, Mm -hmm. you know. 
And you're right. The like the, the middle class people get like maybe a shot. And if they're lucky, it succeeds. Yep. And if they're really lucky, it's a smashing success. Yep. Rich people can try again and again and again and again and again and yeah. again and come out looking like they're geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> because they've been able to afford. Because they didn't stop and they kept going. Right. And the poor people don't ever have a chance. They're just the ones serving everybody else's game playing. Yeah. That was profound. Yeah. Profound. Sobering. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Totally. And uh, the second one comes, uh, second thought here comes courtesy of Timothy Snyder, the uh, Eastern European historian, historian of uh, autocracies uh, and authoritarian regimes. Uh, And it's apropos of how Russia has been talking about Ukraine over the course of this war that they're prosecuting against Ukraine right Mm -hmm. now. because a big element of it is saying that the the, the Russia the, the Ukrainians the Ukrainians are Rus- Russophobic. Oh, that they're yeah yeah the Ukrainians hate the Russians. Therefore, and, we get and to therefore invade. and therefore uh, like we are the victims, <laughs> right? And Darn we no. and we are just defending ourselves, right? Right? And Timothy Snyder just had the the best thing to say about that. He said, claiming to be the victim when you are in fact the aggressor is not a defense. It is actually part of the crime. Mm. And man, that was so deep. Just hit me right between the eyes. Mm. Because think about other people who act like this. I mean, there's a lot of in our country right now, right? It's a key part of the grift, of the the crime, quote unquote, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, That when you are doing something bad, like the worst thing you can do is to admit that you're doing something bad, right? Because then you're a bad guy. But if you turn it around and you actually claim that it's the other person who's doing the bad thing and mm-hmm. you are just a victim and you are just defending yourself and you're just standing up for yourself, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like rhetorical jujitsu. And right. now the other person is the bad guy or at least there's some doubt about who is the bad guy here. Well, I guess maybe there are no bad guys. It's just a legitimate disagreement between two people right. of good faith, right? Right. Um, and it just is... It's, yeah, it's, it's super deep. And you said Darvo as I was saying that, and I had that written down here too. Yeah. You know, uh, and for anyone who doesn't know what a uh, Darvo is, it stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. And the reversing victim and offender thing here is what we're talking it's about. It's a tactic of abusers that abusers yeah. employ to keep abusing. Like they, yeah. they, they deny that they're attacking. They, uh, uh, they they go on the attack, yeah. and then they reverse roles. They say, "Actually, I'm the one. I'm the victim here." Yeah. Um, and so, anybody who's ever learned anything about like abuse situations, abusive relationships, this is going to ring true. And that's exactly what's happening in yeah. in Russia vis a vis Ukraine. Yeah, it's a common manipulation strategy of psychological abusers, mm-hmm. uh, and specifically, interestingly, mm. uh, of sexual offenders. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, anywhere you can like muddy muddy the picture. If mm-hmm. you can muddy it up, then you can maybe then you can maybe escape responsibility. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yep. Man. Man. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's probably a good time for us to cruise into the inspiration station. Inspiration station. All right, what you got? I have a couple of things. Um, the first one is a person that I was inspired by this week. Okay. Um, this person, uh, her, she's a state senator in Nebraska. State oh, senator I love this one. Michaela Kavanaugh. Go, Michaela. So, Michaela Kavanaugh has, uh, she, she first a few weeks ago threatened to do this and then began actually doing this. Mm-hmm. There's a bill that was making its way through committees in the, the Nebraska State Senate that would uh, ban gender-affirming therapies for minors, yeah. for trans kids. Which, to be super clear, people are endorsed by the American Medical Association and the American Pediatric Association. Like, it's oh, just not controversial at this point. Across the board, yeah. medical professionals say, yes, this is good, we approve, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for, for kids who need it. Yeah. This is, this is, this is a, an appropriate treatment. These are appropriate yeah. treatments for kids. Um, and so this bill, like in many states, the, 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 where the right-wing extremism is taking hold, they're putting through these bills to, you know, ban gender-affirming care. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing, like, especially for, for trans kids, like a lot of, like a lot of people, a lot, a lot of the, the trans people that I, that I personally know mm-hmm. didn't have access to gender-affirming care when they were going through puberty. Right. And therefore, 
it makes it a lot more difficult if they want to transition physically to a, a presentation that that suits their their gender. It makes it more difficult for them later on in life to do that. Yeah. If it's not something that begins during this is why this is why it's important for kids to be able to have access. It's one of the two to this medical care. It, yes. It's, the it's, other reason I would say is that like. You remember how hard it was going through puberty, how confusing it was, and how <laughs> right. much you were just questioning yourself anyway? Now, just like step back to that time in your mind and imagine doing it as the wrong gender. When you're, if your body's presenting in a gender that's what a not what mind you fuck. are. Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. So anyway, this bill was making its way through committee, and State Senator Michaela Kavanaugh said, uh-uh, not on my watch. So yeah. she threatened to and then proceeded to actually carry out her threat to bring the state senate's business grinding to a halt with a filibuster and 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 uh, obstructionist tactics at every possible turn mm -hmm. to keep not just this bill from making its way through committee and through the senate but every single bill yep. that the state senate needs to address we're talking about funding bills yeah. we're talking about bills that that are that they business they need to take care like of like uncontroversial stuff like funding like highway improvements exactly. you know what i mean it has to get done every year it's just part of the business every single year and she's like no we're not we're literally not doing any business because of you assholes in this bill exactly that's why this is this is so important we're stopping all business until yeah. you give up this horrible thing you're trying to do to kids. Yep. So look at the quote that I that I read from her. It says, I will burn the session to the ground over this bill. Yeah. And she has totally been doing it. She's like, I, I saw a video of her. Like uh, uh, there's, she's just at every possible turn. She's, she's like throwing up all kinds of amendments to bills to slow things down. Yep. Like the, the number. She's doing of, the, the full length of debate, the maximum amount of debate for every single part of every single. Uh -huh like amendment and clause of every single uh -huh. bill, just the absolute slowest possible walk you could do with everything. I don't remember exactly the number, but I want to say that that somebody who was quoted in the piece that I read about it was saying that like the the state senate, like their, their session isn't like year round. It's like a, it's like a few, it's, it's like a few months of the year or yeah. something, right? And that at this point uh, in their session that they've, achieved about 3% of the pro progress they normally make. Oh, like, she's getting it done. Yep. So, like, I was inspired by Senator Michaela Kavanaugh. You're the mom. Uh, thank you so much for standing up for trans kids. Like, I just love it. That We've been talking a lot about, about trans yeah. rights and trans rights for trans kids and, like, all the stuff that's been coming up. Here is a, an example of somebody who's doing something. Yeah. She's using the position she has to make a real impact and... God bless her. God bless her. She's doing amazing stuff. Yeah. Right on. Well, hey, uh, let's segue into a gratitude crank up. No, we can't. Oh, yet. you got another one? I have one more inspiration. Oh, I'm how, so wow. sorry. You're doubling up on inspiration? Yeah. This is great. But this is really lovely. Um, you don't have I, to apologize. I'm stoked. Okay. Um, there's a woman, her name is Laura Joyce Davis, uh, that we met at a house concert in Oakland, California mm, back in, I think, mm -hmm. 2017. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to her after the show and we stayed in touch a little bit. She's a writer um, and she was trying to figure out sort of like a transition into what was next for her creatively. And um, I remember corresponding with her at that time about that. Um, and it turns out she, during, uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic, she began a podcast called Shelter in Place. And um, it was... Uh, it, it, originally intended to be a short-term podcast and then, you know, the, the pandemic stuck around. And so yeah. she, she ended up doing the podcast for much longer. Um, she's now uh, teaching podcasting, I think, at Stanford University. And mm -hmm. like, so she's really, um, this, she's found her, her, her niche here. Um, she wrote, an, I'm on her newsletter list and I got her newsletter this past week and she was kind of reflecting on the, on the Shelter in Place podcast and kind of talking about what's next for her. But as she was reflecting on the podcast that she did, she mentioned um, uh, one of the people that she interviewed for that podcast. And I'm just going to read to you the paragraph um, uh, from, from that section. She, you know, was kind of generally talking about how, you know, the, the, the whole podcast was about the idea of like, oh my God, the world, what's going on? Yeah. And like, how do we deal What's you know, like, what, how are we coping with all this? So here's the quote. She said, the Navajo artist Elmer Yazi, who I loved so much that I interviewed him twice, mm. told me that the elders in his community didn't believe that the world was spinning out of control. Nothing was falling out of place. It was falling into place. You just had to zoom out enough in history to see it. And I just... Mm. 
really appreciated that perspective because yeah. there have been so many moments over the last few years especially that it has felt like the world is spinning out of control. Yeah. And to hear uh, a person with deep roots in, in a culture that is very spiritually grounded and connected with the earth mm -hmm. and is a very ancient culture, to hear him say that the elders in his community see it not as spinning out, but spinning in. Yeah. That, that this is part of the earth and us as part of the earth coming coming to a, a place of healing, a place of of goodness, a place of beauty. Yeah. Instead, if you, if you zoom out far enough to see that. I just, it was a really helpful perspective. That's great. I loved it. I so love it too. To share. Uh, so now, Jamie, mm -hmm. let's uh, segue into the gratitude crank up. All right. So uh, I'm grateful for spring starting to come. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. Like, just you literally yesterday, two trees in our backyard all of a sudden had like a thousand little yellow yeah. flowers. Yeah. Like the day before they didn't. Yeah. And then they did. Yeah. And it was like a f switch had been flipped. Mm-hmm. And it was so exciting. We had our first 60 degree plus day on mm -hmm. Saturday. And it was mm -hmm. just like a, like a nice breeze, but not windy or cold. Beautiful blue skies, warm sun. Mm -hmm. uh, the mountain was out. Everything was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just the best possible foreshadowing, you know? And yeah. it's been, you know, back to being a little bit more chilly and kind of pre-springy feeling since then. But again, today, the sun is out. It's a little chilly, but those flowers are there. We saw our first dandelion, <laughs> which is like both good and bad. Because it's yeah. a yellow flower yeah. in the yard. Yeah, <sighs> right now it is. Mm -hmm. uh, About to be a yellow flower in the trash. You know, I was just thinking, hearing you describe the spring stuff and it, like... It made me think of the the quote from the Navajo leader that that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. That you know, like when 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 the season in a very like sort of like small time frame time frame sort of scale, you know, when when fall is giving way to winter and like the leaves die and everything's falling off the trees and it's chaos with you know leaves in the yard and the wind starts blowing and the rain starts coming and it's like it can kind of feel like things are falling apart. Mm -hmm. But what you're describing is like that that things are kind of blooming again and like yeah. it's it's like a, it's like a microscopic example of of what he's saying i think you know when you zoom out like I, I really like that like it's lovely it is a, it's lovely to think about things as you know when they feel like they're out of control or dying or whatever that if you zoom out spring is coming yeah you know mm -hmm. i love that all right what do you have so i'm grateful for uh a moment that you and I took yesterday to revisit the whiteboarding that we did mm. at the beginning of the year. We just, at the beginning of the year, we we had a, a day-long session where we sort of like mapped out all of the dreams slash goals slash schemes, like yeah. ideas that we had for our work lives this year. Yep. Really informed a lot by the 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 ways in which we had we have been reimagining what we want this part of our lives to look like going forward. So mm -hmm. this rebirth out of the, the 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 last few years of kind of being, you know, cloistered at home. Mm -hmm. um, and we we had laid out stuff and 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 we looked back at it yesterday, which happened to coincide with the first day of spring, which I, I, we didn't with the vernal equinox, really. Yeah, we didn't plan it that way, yeah. but it was an interesting time to look at that because the plans, the seeds we had like sort of planted at the beginning of the year in the deepest part of winter, mm -hmm. um, we looked back and realized, having looked at the, the those plans and the, and the schemes that we sketched out, that we'd actually made a lot of progress on things that, you know, just a few months ago, we had written down in pen on this paper, but like really didn't have any idea how we were going to get there. Yeah. But here we are a few months later and to be able to actually see progress, to actually see how some of those things are coming into fruition in ways that we did not expect and sooner, I think, than we expected in a lot of cases as well. Like, it was just really encouraging and I'm mm -hmm. really grateful for that moment yesterday of, be, of having a moment to, to pause and look and, and evaluate sort of like where we've been and where we are and... Um, and I, I'm just grateful for that feeling mm -hmm. of like, cool. 
That, that's really cool. So I wanted to express that here. I love it. I yeah. feel that way too. That's great. Yeah. All right, people. Well, we're grateful for you too. Thank you as always for giving us a little bit of your time, for listening to us, just talking about stuff that we think is interesting. We appreciate that. Yeah. That's a neat thing for you to do. And for those of you who uh, support this podcast and more generally the work that Jamie and I do, thank you. Yes. Uh, we call you our misfit stars. And Thanks, we stars. love you. Um, and for those of you who are listening and you are not yet supporters and you're thinking, uh, wait, wait, what's this supporters of misfit star? What is this whole thing? Let me tell you briefly. Uh, there's this group of people who have decided that what we do is valuable to them and they want to be part of sustaining it in an ongoing sort of way. Yeah. And so they have all gone uh, to our, our support page, which is misfitstars.com slash support. Yeah. And they have signed up to, uh, to donate a, a monthly um, amount of money to help keep us going, yeah. to help keep this podcast going, to help keep going the creation of the music that we do. Uh, Jamie does a shit ton of mentorship for a bunch of people, um, uh, for other musicians, who people who are learning how to uh, produce and record stuff on their own at home. Mm -hmm. um, all the stuff that we do uh, is supported by our community. It is made possible by this community of people. And Indeed, this is our job. Just to be super clear right. about that. This is our job and that's the way we get paid. That's right. That's a dot that I don't know we always connect for people. Because I imagine you could, I, I could imagine being out there and being a listener and being like, well, I mean, they do music in a podcast. They must have a trust fund. <laughs> they must have an independent source of money that allows them just to joyfully dabble. Wouldn't that be People, lovely? we want you to know we are not dabbling. <laughs> we are workers. Yeah. We are proletariat creative people. We are doing this for work. Yeah, you're and right. And the way that we get paid is in this really unorthodox way. We have really worked very hard over the last decade to de-widgetize what we do. Now, I don't think that either of us found it very appealing, this sort of model that kind of has gotten built up over the last century where if you're a creative person, you have to make things, usually physical things, and you have to sell them one at a time for a predetermined amount of money. It's very transactional. And if you want our art, you got to give us money, but not a lot of money, just a little bit. It's just really weird. All of it is weird. You know what I mean? And so instead, what we do is we say, here's the stuff we're making. You may have all of it. Anyone can have all of it for free if you need to, because that's how it should be. Poor people deserve art as much as rich people. And we also just say with an open hand, there are some of you out there who are financially in a position where you would be able to help support this because you believe in it and because you like it. And if you are one of those people, we just invite you. Go to misfitstars.com support and pick how you would like to do that, how you would like to support that in the world. How would you like to support Shannon keeping her microphone in place for the yeah. entire podcast? That's going to be like $100 a month. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know if it's possible. No, no, no. I haven't knocked my microphone in a very long time, to be fair. That's true. So, it's true. To sum up, thank you so, so much to our supporters. We couldn't, we couldn't do any of this without you. And if you are listening to our voices now and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I value what these two are up to. I want to be part of the community that supports them. Please go to misfitstars.com slash support and join us. Thank you. Yeah, help us get paid a tiny bit more at our job. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, we'll be back again next week, guys and gals and everybody in between. Uh, we will have more for you then. But until then, please take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. See you later. Bye.